This is the Kibasa King Sports Extravaganza. Hey, 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 Yakshamash. Club to you too, or whatever. You know, really, I love your style. I love the way you edit things together. Well, thanks for noticing. It's a real pain. We welcome to the show Christian Leitner. Yeah, I'm proud of my heritage, and my mother used to make a lot of delicious meals capusta, bumpy, pierogi, all that good stuff. I put sour cream on everything, and um, so a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Polish tradition there. Hey, Akshamash, everybody. Welcome to the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Proud part of Bucky's fifth quarter, of course, brought to you by Rent College Pads. And we are really excited. Uh, it's been a um, big show coming up today. We have, coming up in about four minutes, we got the Wisconsin State Journal's Jason Galloway. Going to talk about, of course, the new Wisconsin defensive coordinator, Justin Wilcox. We'll discuss just his... Uh, just his resume, uh, what he brings, uh, will the Badger stay in the 3-4? How does that affect recruiting, obviously, with some reports of him starting hot and fresh going down to Arizona to try to retain the verbal commitment of a four-star defensive lineman? And we'll talk with him about that and, and, and what uh, what he inherited when he got the keys to the car, you know, that is the Wisconsin Badgers defense. That's come up in a couple minutes. Uh, eight forty or so. We uh, excited to have on for the first time. I know Scotty and I. Uh, Scott knows him from from the score in Chicago uh, back before uh, all that happened. Uh, but you have Adam Hogue, uh, who, if you guys don't know, is the godfather of Bucky's fifth quarter, the creator of Bucky's fifth quarter. He'll join us because now he's a part of WGN Radio. Does a lot of work. He's also the Northwestern sideline reporter for Northwestern football. And we'll talk with him since he was down in Mobile, Alabama to check up on Joe Schobert, former Wisconsin walk-on, working as a linebacker down in Mobile, Alabama. We'll get his thoughts on Schobert, who's appeared to gain about 11 pounds since he last weighed in at Wisconsin, and uh, see how he looked. And it also addressed some other things for the NFC North, uh, for, for who looked good that could turn some heads for the Packers personnel, obviously, because if you haven't seen Twitter, guys, quite frankly, you haven't seen Ted Thompson. It seems like his head pops up every time when you have a, an analyst there saying, oh, Ted Thompson doing this, Ted Tom, Thompson doing that. It was like a drinking game for me personally, uh, watching, uh, seeing what's going on in the Senior Bowl. Uh, but uh, to begin, before we, we got a couple minutes before Jason comes on, we got the Polish rifle, Scott Wisniewski. Scott, Happy Thursday to you. We're doing this podcast a couple of days late, normal from our Tuesday slot. But how is your day and how's the week been? Um, busy, very busy. A lot going on sports-wise, and as usual, not enough time to get to all of it. But uh, um, it's it's been good. It's, I can't believe it's one of those weeks. You can't believe it's Thursday already, and, and we're getting ready to head into the weekend. Absolutely, and you know it's a good thing we actually brought this up with the, uh, you know it's probably a good thing that we waited a couple of days because this news broke really quick where 
um, you know, it's it kind of like there's talk with footballscoop.com. When you talk about the defensive coordinator position at Wisconsin, footballscoop.com noted about a week ago or so saying that there was some interest uh, before from the Badgers and Justin Wilcox himself about the being a candidate for the position. And then news broke yesterday from footballscoop.com. It was confirmed by a couple other reports from Alex Marvez from Fox Sports. You also had uh, Evan Flood from Badger 24-7 talk about his sources uh, confirming that Wilcox was in line and that a decision would be announced very soon. And, uh, yeah, a lot. It came down pretty quick. And today, this afternoon, they officially announced it. And, uh, you know, in your opinion, you know, this is a broad question before we have Jason pop on in a couple minutes. Uh, your thoughts on, I guess, the, the easiest question to ask is just like, uh, how much of an impact will a defensive coordinator make on a college program like this, especially when that comes back with, the, you know, the secondary is a little, uh, they won't have all, you know, three or four of their starters, but how much does a defensive coordinator work within college football to, to you know, to have this higher? Uh, how big of it? How big is it, I should say? I think at the college level, coordinators have an even bigger impact on the game than at the pro level. Not to say that schemes and coming up with game plans doesn't help at the pro level. It does. But when you get to the pros, it's like everything. Everybody there was a A++ player in college. Now, as good as the Badgers have been, um, there's st- there's still holes at certain positions from year to year, and coordinators being able to find schemes that put people in a position to succeed and consequently cover up any positions that might not be as strong, it's very important. Now, I know they got a lot of players coming back, but they, they're players that were fit to, to run Dave Aranda's scheme, and they were fit to play a certain way. So it's going to matter, A, how much, changes and tweaks and modifications happen. And two, how those players respond to that kind of coaching from, you know, again, you get used to a guy, especially we're talking, let's face it, we're talking about teenagers or people in their early 20s. You know, you you tend to be a little bit more emotional about guys you liked and guys you go to battle for, yada, yada, yada. It's important. Now, in no way in that long answer am I saying that I know how this hire is going to go or how this team's going to respond. I have no idea. But it's important to note as you get into what will eventually be spring football and then into the, the practices leading up to the regular season, how this team gels around the new coach. Very true. And uh, we'll see how the – yeah, obviously uh, with yeah spring practices starting up, you know, about a month and a half or so, about eight, maybe six to eight weeks coming up. And, and to kind of talk about – what's going on, and, and uh, a good friend of ours here, uh, and a former Bucky's with quarter writer when he first came up into the state, now working for the Wisconsin State Journal, has a great podcast, does great work over there on Wisconsin State Journal and Madison.com. we got Jason Galloway. Jason, welcome back. Good, Great having you on, and, and let me ask you just a general overall feeling. Uh, was it a surprise to you to have uh, – to, to hear Justin Wilcox's name in the running first off and then now being hired as the new defensive coordinator for Wisconsin? Oh, when his name first came up, it was a little bit of a surprise. Obviously, it's a guy that 
was fired from his previous job at USC. Um, I think, you know, when you look at that USC defense he had, they, they had some good numbers in terms of their red zone defense, their the third down defense, you know, created some turnovers, but obviously uh, were kind of middle of the pack in terms of scoring defense and, and struggled at times to stop some of the best offenses in the Pac-12. So when his name first come up, you, you, it doesn't, you know, it's not a name that you say, it's not a name you're going to ooh, or, ooh and all over or anything like that. But um, I think for the last couple of weeks, uh, we had a good idea that uh, Wilcox was one of the top candidates and that there was a pretty decent chance that uh, that he would end up being the guy. Now, Jason, I'm going to ask you the same question. And, I, you know, I'm sure your perspective is a little different that Jake, that Jake just asked me. How much of an impact – do coordinators have at the college level? I think it's more important than even at the pro level. But with the players the Badgers have coming back, how much of an impact, good or bad, could uh, change at the defensive, or if it was an offensive coordinator, change at the coordinator position, impact a team like the Badgers? Oh, I think it could be huge. Obviously, the defensive coordinators calling all the shots. They're the ones that are teaching these young guys exactly how to play in their system. He's the one that's, uh, you know, teaching these guys exactly what they're supposed to do. And, uh, you know, at the pro level, those guys, like you mentioned, are, I mean, they're already um, a little bit more seasoned, a little bit more, you know, kind of know what they're doing a little bit more more often. But you have these 18-, 19-year-old kids that are coming into a program from high school, and they've got to learn how to how to play at the college level. And the defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator is a guy that's, that's going to teach them how to do that. And, uh Obviously, I think it, I think the transition will be a little bit easier when you have a guy like Wilcox who, who's going to stick with a three-four um, scheme more than likely. Um, obviously, there'll be some differences. Um, you know, I just from what I I haven't gone back and watched USC USC's defense from this past season or anything like that, but I've heard uh, Wilcox may go a little bit, you know, with a little bit more zone coverage than Dave Aranda did. Um, so there's going to be some differences in in the way they handle things, but I think. Um, at least sticking with that three, four base personnel. And, um, you know, I think that's going to help the transition a little bit. These guys won't have to completely adjust something entirely new. Uh, like when Aranda came on, they went from a four, three to a three, four. I'm sure that was a little bit bigger of a just bigger adjustment, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think this is an important hire, uh, no matter who you, who you get that you want a guy that's going to come in here and be able to teach these young guys exactly how to play in the system that he wants to play. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think he can make a, a huge impact. Whether Wilcox is going to end up being uh, the hire that they think he can be, I think. I guess we'll have to wait and see. You know, I, even though these last few years at USC didn't go, you know, perfectly, I think he did some really good work at Washington the two years before that, and uh, has a pretty good track record at at Boise State and Tennessee as well. So um, we'll have to wait and see how this defense looks when the season starts. Obviously, they've got a lot of really difficult games out of the stretch at the LSU, and then and then both Michigan schools to start conference play. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how this Badger defense looks. Here with Jason Galloway from the Wisconsin State Journal, Madison.com. Of course, follow him on the Twitter, if you will, at Jason, just making sure, yep, Jason underscore Galloway. And he's here on the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by RentCollegePads.com. And, with with Wilcox and, and then with Tibisar, let me ask you about Tim Tibisar then, because obviously there was a report by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel talking about maybe a week or two ago saying he was a likely candidate. Uh, where do you think Tibisar stands? Because 
Paul Chris gave him a ton of credit for, for developing players like Jack Sitchi, another walk-on who, you know, was a reserve outside linebacker, got a lot of snaps uh, to relieve Beagle and Schobert throughout the year, then goes inside, uh, only leads the team in tackles, has three consecutive sacks, uh, sacks against USC, but also TJ Watt, who was a tight end yeah. back this spring even, uh, transitions over to outside linebacker, and he's in various sub-packages and at times is actually over the center as kind of a pseudo-defensive uh, nose guard uh, on blitzing situations. What? Uh, where do you see Tim Tibisar, uh in, in terms of his role in the defense still? And, and do you feel there might be some, especially if he did interview, which we haven't gotten the – uh, notification of, of who actually interviewed yet for the position, but but do you feel like maybe is there going to be a weird dynamic in your opinion, and in uh, in what's his role going forward with this Wisconsin defense? Well, like you mentioned, I think he did do a good job with the outside linebackers. You know, a lot of their good play had to do with just just talent. Um, you know, obviously you have Beagle and Schobert, and I think Sitchi and, and Water both really athletic guys that can make plays on their own. But I think Tibbetts did a really good job of developing those. Uh, the guys at that position. And, uh, you know, I think this uh, just for, for what I've seen, I, I think this has more to do with just them really liking Wilcox rather than them thinking there's something wrong with Tibisar. Um Obviously it's, I guess initially there's a, I, maybe a little bit of awkwardness when, when Tibisar, you know, in, interviews for the job and, and I uh, think he has a good shot and, you know, uh, you know, ends up not getting it. But I think he also has to understand that, you know, they're, you know, they're trying to, you know, bring the best person in. And um, even though he was, you know, a candidate that he's, you know, they're not always just going to hire from hire internally. So I think he's just going to continue to coach the linebackers. And, uh, you know, after, I think by the time spring practice starts, it's not really going to be on anybody's mind. I think it's just going to be, he's going to continue with his role uh, as the linebackers, outside linebackers coach, or maybe he'll take on the whole linebackers. I'm not really sure exactly what Wilcox is going to do yet. Um, But, uh, yeah, I don't think there's going to be any problems or any awkwardness once they actually get into the flow of flow of the off season. I think it's um, obviously I'm sure it's disappointing for Tipisar, who uh, would have liked to be this get a promotion, but um, don't think it'll be uh, a distraction or anything like that. Now, Jason, as we look ahead for some of these, well, what will be former Badgers, uh, looking at some of the postseason All Star type games and the draft itself and some of the pro days coming up and ultimately the combine, this Badger class, the the, the players that have uh, decided that they were going to uh, opt to go into the draft, where do you think, who are some of the top guys, where do you think some of these names of the people who have declared or the higher-ranked seniors are going to uh, go? Like, what, Ron, you don't have to be specific or think what team they're going to go to, but just with the te- yeah. with the players that are out there, where do you see them going in the draft coming up? Yeah, well, they don't really have that um, that Melvin Gordon this year. That you know anybody that has a chance to go in the in the first round or anything like that. So it's it's a little more. You know, they have a few, a couple mid round guys. I think I, I really like Darius Hillary. I think he's a guy that probably has a decent chance of at least getting drafted at some point um, in the draft. I think um, Tyler Maris has a pretty good chance of of getting drafted at some point. It's hard to know exactly what round these guys are going to go in. I haven't gotten too deep into talking to people about where these guys might go yet. Um, I think those guys have a pretty good chance of at least getting drafted, whether it's in the middle rounds or the later rounds. Uh, I'm not really sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I'll get more into that after signing day and figuring out, you know, you know, after these guys go through the pro day and they get a chance for scouts to look at them, I think it starts to become a little bit more clear 
Um, I think, you know, Michael Caputo is a guy that really impressed in that East-West Shrine game. You know, he picked off two passes, looked looked really good. Obviously, there's still questions about, um, you know, what he can do in coverage consistently on a consistent basis. But um, I think he's a guy that, you know, is a, is a really sure tackler and has a pretty good chance to, you know, at least uh, catch the eye of some NFL guys. Um, so we'll just have to kind of wait and see, you know, how these guys kind of go through this off season and, and, and what they do at pro day and what they do at the combine. We're here with Jason Galloway from the Wisconsin State Journal and Madison.com. And, you know, we talk about the all-star games and obviously Joe Schobert is in the Reese's senior bowl, which is this week. Uh, and, uh, we'll see how he does, and and sounds like he's added some weight there. But kind of going to the opposite. Yeah, I guess spectrum. I guess I should have uh, guess I should have mentioned Joe Schobert too. He <laughs> kind of slipped my mind, but uh, he's probably going to be the highest drafted player. I think he's probably a mid round pick. I don't think he's going to be you know in the first round or anything, but I think he could end up with a good pro day um, and a good combine. He could definitely be a you know a second day guy. Absolutely, and 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 with that, you know, we kind of go to the opposite spectrum where uh, National Signing Day is in six days, uh, and hopefully uh, next Wednesday night we'll have a, a special broadcast over here on Bucky's Fifth Quarter, kind of recapping the the crazy day that still uses fax machines. I don't know why they still use fax machines. It really, I'm hoping they go to email one of these days. It's just I don't understand. Yeah, it's really it. strange. Uh, but either. with that. <laughs> but, but but with that, uh, you know, how is this class uh, stacking up in, in your mind? Obviously, no flips yet, uh, uh, though there is some concern. I uh, saw an article uh, earlier today on Madison.com referring about the, the class itself, but uh, no flips on the defensive side, even without Aranda. Uh, you know, what's you, what do you make of this? class coming in all holds together and and where does it stack up I guess maybe even from years past well obviously Garrett Rand is is the big question mark right now the I think most recruiting sites have him as a four-star guy one of the highest ranked guys in this class a defensive tackle and uh you know he's he's a guy that really wanted to see who the Badgers are going to hire a defense coordinator before he signed um earlier this month he said he was still committed kind of wanted to see the direction they went with the defense and make sure the scheme wouldn't change. Uh, and it looks like they're going to stick with the three, four scheme. And it, you know, I think that is maybe puts him a little bit more at ease, but I think, you know, it took them so long to hire Wilcox that, you know, he, he's gone on an official visit to UCLA and um, you know, who knows what he's thinking now. I don't think he's talking to a whole lot of media. Um, you know, if that UCLA visit went really well um, or he's just kind of rethinking his commitment altogether, I wouldn't be that surprised. Um, so I, I mean I, I don't really have a good sense on on if he's going to stick with Wisconsin or go somewhere else, but I think it's he's really up in the air right now, and that could really kind of you know it makes a big difference if, if a guy a four star guy that's you know potentially your second highest rated recruit either stays in the class or leaves. So I think that could have a, a big bearing on the way we look at this class when it's all said and done. Um, outside of that, though, it seems like everyone is is pretty much. Uh, solid, you know. I, you know, I don't really, uh, you know, spend time, you know, ranking all these players like these recruiting sites do. But uh, <laughs> you know, as, as far as as far as the major ones, it seems like this class is currently is rated anywhere from from 20th to 35th. So there's that kind of, I guess, a little bit of difference of opinion on on where this class stands nationally against some of the other uh, other programs. Obviously, they've got 25 commitments already, and if some other schools pick up some more. Between now and signing day, they could, I guess, Wisconsin could drop a little bit further than that. Um, I think it's a class that, 
they, you know, you got to think it's a little bit of a disappointment whenever you lose a guy like Antonio Williams in October, um, a, a guy that was going to headline your class, be the running back in the future, was so gung-ho about coming to Wisconsin and, um, you know, recruiting other players to come to Wisconsin to, to just suddenly lose him to, to your biggest competition in the conference in Ohio State um, was a big blow, I think. And um, I think Sam Brodner, the running back they got earlier this week, uh, is a really good player. He seems like a really athletic guy, uh, but he's probably not quite on the level of Antonio Williams. And, um, you know, I think I think the Badgers have done a good job of kind of filling out this class this last month, getting a guy like Brodner, uh, getting Caesar Williams late at cornerback. Uh, but I think overall, you have to be a little bit disappointed about a guy like Antonio Williams, you know, um, flipping to Ohio State. And then if, if they were to lose Rand as well, it may, be, um, may leave a little bit of a sour taste in, in kind of fans' mouth when they when they see the, the, the end result of the class. But I think they got some really good players in the class. They got a lot of guys that are three-star guys that you don't, you know, you aren't going to, uh, that aren't going to kind of wow the fan base. But I think there are guys that could really develop into good players and give the team a lot of depth when um uh two or three years down the line so i think it's a, it's a it's a good class but it, it uh, i guess it could have been better and jason uh before we let you go obviously it's great having you on uh what's going on for you guys uh coming up on madison.com anything you have going on at the wisconsin state journal uh feel free to tell uh the listeners what you guys got going on uh coming up in the next week yeah well, i just posted a a Red Zone Podcast, the podcast I started uh, in the fall. Uh, I talked to Jim Polzian, our basketball writer. We talked about the men's basketball team a little bit, about this recruiting stuff, and then uh, about Wilcox, uh, the higher Wilcox as well. So you can check that out. That's on iTunes and Madison.com. And I've got a couple more recruiting uh, stories coming up before signing day, one about uh, kind of recruiting budgets and looking at um, kind of how those can be a little misleading because I know the fan base here is always kind of up in arms about Wisconsin being down the rankings in in terms of uh, recruiting budget. Um, So I think that'll be an interesting story. And uh, we'll have another one kind of on um, how the Big Ten recruiting uh, scene has kind of gone a little bit more toward the East Coast since adding uh, Rutgers in Maryland. uh, You know, Wisconsin's got a couple guys from Maryland, uh, another guy from Connecticut in this class. So um, I think that's maybe an interesting interesting angle to look at as well. So we'll have uh, those stories leading up to signing day and then – uh, you know, spring practice isn't 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 too far away either. Isn't that weird? That just seems crazy. Like it's like the season just finished up. We just finished covering it, and then next thing you know, man, we're oh yep yep back at pro day. Up oh, there's up oh, there's spring practices. There's the spring. You know, it just never ends. Yeah, man. stuff. It kind of sneaks up on you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and I uh, hope to catch up soon. I'm sure if the if the snow doesn't do us in next Wednesday and we're not cleaning up, uh, hopefully uh, we'll see you guys down uh, down at Camp Randall talking with Coach Chris and uh, catching up from there, man. Thanks for having me. Excellent, guys. Guys, Jason Galloway, Wisconsin State Journal, Madison.com. Make sure you follow him at Jason underscore Galloway on Twitter. We're going to take one quick break, come back. This is the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza brought to you by Rent College Pads and a proud part of Bucky's fifth quarter.
Welcome back, guys. Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza brought to you by Rent College Pads and, of course, it's a proud part of Bucky's fifth quarter. And, and you know, guys, you know, obviously it's it's second semester. It's it's the it's the spring semester. Uh, and today's show is brought to you by Rent College Pads. Uh, we'd like to thank our presenting sponsor, Rent College Pads, for their support of the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Finding off-campus housing has always been a chore until now. Browse tons of properties on Rent College Pads today. They have all the best apartments and houses around campus and in Madison. Find your next place on Rent College Pads today. And so, Scott, it was always great having Jason Galloway on. Obviously, a plethora of knowledge. Always fun having him talking on. Uh, by the way, in about 23 minutes, we'll have Adam Hogue from WGN Radio, the Chicago Bears insider who was down at the Senior Bowl. Uh, we're bumping that about 10 minutes uh, from 8.40 down now to 8.50. That gives us some time now, obviously, kind of tra- talk, talking some Wisconsin Badgers, go from football, and, and like Jason had talked to Jim Polzine earlier uh, this week about Badger hoops. Wisconsin is on a bit of a roll now. They they, they beat uh, number four Michigan State at home. They go and they play, they they outlast Penn State, and then they come back and they they win a really solid game, eighty two seventy nine in overtime against Tom Crean and the Indiana Hoosiers. Yeah, it uh, it never really it never gets old seeing Tom Crean uh, lose. Uh, not not never been a fan, never been a fan of his at all. But uh, that being said, we're uh, they they have played better, and it, it it's still you know you look at some of those close losses, you know some of the and again you hate to play what if, but we talked about it earlier. I know that my expectations were higher on this team than you than they were for you because yes they did lose, you know great players. But I, I told you a couple weeks ago when we talked Badger Hoops, I wanted to see a little bit more out of out of Hayes and some of the other guys that you know, Caning. And I think they're starting to play better. I think Ethan Happ are starting to, to step up and, and play bigger roles than many people thought they'd play. And, you know, you just wish you could have a couple of those wins uh, that got a whiff from them early on because then you might be looking at and, and they still look, they still could be a NCAA tournament team. But they still have such a tough – they've got the toughest schedule, at least before the, the, the conference season started. They were listed as having the toughest schedule in the Big Ten based on the fact that a lot of the lower-end teams they only played once and a lot of the upper echelon teams they had to play twice. So uh, it's still an uphill climb, but it's nice to see them playing better. It's good that they've seemed to have responded to, to Greg Gard, and maybe this helps when they – go looking for a coach at the end of the year. Uh, but there's still a lot of season left, so I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse, but I've been happy, uh, I've been impressed, I've been pleased with what I've seen so far, and we'll see how that continues. Absolutely. And, you know, in that game, uh, was it, yeah, on Tuesday night, the fact that Nigel Hayes really stepping up, obviously, you know, 17-22 from the line, uh, hit 11 consecutive free throws at the end of that game, uh, really stepped up. Uh, played his game. Ethan Happ, who in the past two weeks now has been, you know, the first week the Big Ten, co-Big Ten Freshman of the Week. Last week by himself, Big Ten Freshman of the Week. 10 of 15. Uh, and if he can develop more of a jumper, a lot of his points are actually in the paint. Uh, he was 5 of 7 from the charity stripe. I uh, had 25 points. I mean, he's, he, he's a redshirt freshman really making a push for that Big Ten Freshman of the Year. 
but you also had that. You had Hayes, and then you had someone else that maybe necessarily you wouldn't see out of a Bo Ryan rotation with, with Jordan Hill, uh, who scored 13 points, 5 of 5, uh, 2 of 2 from beyond three-point uh, line. And, and you have these guys that are, you know, you have Aaron Mesh, uh, you know, he's remote, yeah, Mesh, he's, who's stepping into a walk-on. Uh, you know, these players are great guards utilizing these different lineups and these different players to their strength and going back to more of that swing offense that he's used. It's, it, you know, it was a little rocky to start off the Big Ten play, and you mentioned it, like the the close losses. I mean, they're, I, I, rack, I totaled it up uh, before Radio Spot last week. Uh, their four losses were you know, combined, I think it was 15 points, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, they've played yeah. tough, and, and they've made these improvements. Uh, and you know it, it's a tough road ahead. Don't get me wrong. And and I still have them on the outside looking in. Uh, but there's a lot of there's a big reason to hope, in my opinion, that this team uh, get, can get on a run. And you, know, you don't discount a, a Bo Ryan team. And that you know maybe you know and now they've reeled off a three game winning streak heading into Illinois uh, coming up uh, this weekend, and then. Uh, you know, you have Ohio State and Nebraska, and then you have a, a tough stretch with, you know, at at Maryland, at Michigan State, and then you have Illinois at home uh, towards the end of that month of February. But then you had, uh, you know, into Iowa City to take on a Hawkeyes team that did lose to Maryland today. Uh, but, you know, that they were the last unbeaten team in conference play. And, uh, I mean, you know, uh, I, I guess let me ask you, too, because uh, with yeah. You know, with Joe Lenardi about, you know, had mentioned that the Badgers went 10-8 and eight in conference play, that they'd be up there to have a chance at in, in the tournament. I mean, do you, what record do you think they need to have in that conference play to, to really get to the, you know, to to, make, to be a bubble team to actually be like the last four in or, or, or better? Well, I, I think you got to get to 18 wins however you stack it. And you look at what they've got. All right. So I, I hate to say winnable – when it was some of our road games, but they got a good chance to beat Illinois, Ohio State, and Nebraska. They got a good chance to beat Illinois second time, and a good chance to beat Michigan at home or Minnesota on the road. So that gets them right there. That's five wins. That gets them the 17. Okay. Um, you got Purdue, Iowa, as you mentioned, Michigan State, Maryland. Those are tough. I mean, Maryland they played tough at home, but going to College Park is a different story. Michigan State's going to be waiting for them. Iowa State, those are all road games, Purdue, road game. So the chance of winning one of those road games is tough. Okay, so let's say they win the ones we just talked about, they get the 17, and then they win a game in the Big Ten tournament. I think 18 gets them in. Now, I know they had some bad losses, but they also beat Syracuse. Okay, uh, the loss to Milwaukee by one point, the loss to Marquette by two points, those aren't good, those are bad losses, simply because those teams haven't turned out and played the way they should have. But they almost swept Indiana, losing by one point. That's a heartbreaker. Uh, so they've had enough pelts on the wall and, and, and good things happen uh, where they, you know, they lost to Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a pretty good team. You know, Georgetown's a decent team. Um, so, again, I think the Milwaukee and Marquette losses are the ones that hurt the most. Now, so far, nothing in conference has hurt them. Uh, again, aside from losing some games that they let slip away, you know Purdue was one of them. I thought they could win the Northwestern game. That was, uh, you know, that was rough. But 
you know, again, 18 is, is to me where I think they got to get. And if they can get there, they'll get in. Um, if they don't get to 18, they'll get an NIT bid or, or something along those lines, which might not be terrible for a young team to kind of get some postseason experience and cut their teeth, so to speak, on, on some postseason basketball. Absolutely. And, you know, looking at the, the Big Ten, looking at Marquette, uh, you know, what what have you seen out of them lately? And, and what's, uh, even with, with Milwaukee Panthers, what are you seeing out of them uh, in, in the past month? You know, I'm I'm disappointed in Marquette. Um, and, and, again, I wasn't, you know, I had higher expectations for the Badgers, uh, the way they were going to finish the season. Uh, I thought they were going to be a, a team that could be a, a NCAA tournament team, and they still could be. Um, but Marquette, I at least thought was going to compete a little bit better than they had. And they started out winning some games. You know, their 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 non-conference schedule always leaves a lot to be desired. And this year they had a good win early on against LSU, who's ranked 22nd. But finally LSU is starting to find themselves. It took them a while. They got the doors blown off them against Iowa at home. And we know Iowa's a good team, but they, they they didn't even compete in that game as far as I'm concerned. Um, but then they beat Wisconsin. Things were looking good. And then you get in a conference play, and, you know, they they beaten they lost to DePaul for crying out loud. I mean, you know, yeah, they've got two wins against St. John's. They beat Providence, which was a good win for them. So you think they could build some momentum? You know, they were able to beat Providence at Providence, the number eight team in the country, and then Villanova beats them. Xavier they put up a fight, but that DePaul loss, man, oh man! Like you would think that instead of you know building off of the the wins against Providence and and playing tough against Xavier and the wins against LSU, those are all ranked teams, and then to just lay a stinker on your home court. Uh, so that that frustrates me. And then you look at their schedule coming up. At Xavier, Providence again are going to be hard to beat a second time. Creighton, who I'm still not sure what to think of them, but they play them two out, two out of three times with DePaul sandwiched in between. And then Villanova, Georgetown, and Butler again. So it's... The Big East is still a good, strong conference. Now, it's not the Big East we remember uh, from the 80s and 90s, but it's still a good conference with four teams that are ranked in the top 20. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the Badgers are going to uh, – or sorry, the, the Golden Eagles are going to struggle to, I think, win four more games. And in those four wins, so what does that do for them? So they win four more games. They got 18. But where are those four going to come? Maybe one against Creighton, maybe one against DePaul, maybe Georgetown at home. That's three. Uh, so does 18 get them in? I don't know. That puts them at 18 and 13, but I just think some of their losses were worse losses than some of the ones the Badgers took. And the Badgers' conference RPI is a little bit better, I think, obviously, than the Big East. So I think all that could come into play. But I think Marquette needs to somehow get to 19 wins to get in, and I just don't see it. I mean, Again, they've been Jekyll and Hyde from time to time, but if they don't get 19, I think they're they're sitting home. And or going to the NIT. Well, you know, obviously the NIT is still in play. I think they've done enough to earn that, but uh, again, I just I, I think my expectations were a little higher. I mean, is it is it with the fact that these guys? I mean, that it's it's a young team that they're. I mean, uh, what what. What's playing into this that they're they're so inconsistent? I mean, what have you seen? 
It's it's been the same problem for a couple of years. Uh, they don't shoot. Their guards don't shoot very well, and what ends up happening is and they they try now they're shooting a little bit better as a team this year and but that's been bolstered by Luke Fisher shooting i think 61% and you know um some of the big men doing you know Henry Allenson like 42% but you look at what some of the other guards and I'm pulling it up here as we talk to look at what some of the other guards have done you know, Tracy Carter shoots 31%. Wally Allenson though he's not playing a ton 10 minutes a game shoots 38%. There's still too much of that. Um there's too many uh, streaks uh, periods of the game where they just go into these scoring slumps. They average 15 turnovers a game. So they're a little careless with the with the basketball, but I think overall the the inconsistent shooting, though better this year than it was the last couple of years, uh, has really been what's what their downfall is. And with that, uh, anything else in the college game? Uh, I mean, Minnesota lost. I mean, Minnesota seems like they're in a free for all from what I've from what I've seen, and, and not. I mean, you know, they have a young aspiring coach uh, with with a name, but. Uh, anything you're seeing out of uh, the rest of college basketball before we swing into the, obviously the Packer talk, and we're about 10 minutes away from Adam Hogue from WGN Radio to talk some Senior Bowl stuff. But anything on your end before we switch over to the, to the football game? No, and I know it sounds weird because I follow college basketball throughout the whole season, but it seems that right after the Super Bowl, like February, I just get locked in because – now you start having games that matter down the stretch, and you're fighting for seedings in the big conferences for the conference tournament, and then the conference tournament, and ultimately leading to March Madness. So it's almost we're almost at that precipice. It's like for me, the switch really turns on almost every year after the Super Bowl, and you know it's not that what happens now doesn't matter because it does. I mean, it goes into the RPI and, and and you know earning some some sweat equity, but it just feels like it. It, like the game intensifies and the, the top teams, the top 50, 60 teams in the nation step it up a notch right around this time of the year. And then that's coming quick. Absolutely. And uh, looking ahead, obviously now with the, the football, uh, Mike McCarthy, the he report Gordon reports will not coach in the pro bowl just due to the fact that he is uh, nursing an ailment uh, from, a, I think it was a stomach ailment. Uh, and but you know uh, you did see some uh, Packers down in Hawaii, including but also uh, former Badgers too, like uh, like JJ Watt among others. I think Joe Thomas is down there for another becoming an annual tradition for Joe. I think it's like his seventh, eighth straight time uh, down yeah. there. And you feel bad for him, by the way. Uh, you know it, it will never. I mean, you wish that the, another team would would pick him up. Uh, so uh, you have that, but. Yeah, there's off off air about just uh, possibly Mike McCarthy being fed up, or just uh, not happy about not getting that extra. Maybe I, I don't know if, I don't know if you can call it a glue guy, a, you know, like you see like a Josh Gosser is for Wisconsin was for Wisconsin basketball being that glue guy or just a veteran to kind of bring it, you know the youth together and. and and, and go from there and kind of like help mold the team into being maybe that push them over the edge to be that Super Bowl contender, like the Super Bowl contender rather than just, okay. oh, they'll contend I, every I, year. I'm going to go out. I'm going to play both sides of the fence on this. 
because I've been fine with the draft and develop strategy. I've been more disappointed by the fact that his last couple drafts haven't been as deep. It's it's unearthed some great players, or seemingly players that are on the rise, especially in the secondary, but they haven't been as deep as they used to be, and I know a lot of that is because they lost guys like Schneider and Dorsey and people who really helped out who were right-hand men. That said, I still wish they would sign one or two very high-profile or very good free agents to fill in some of the gaps. I agree with that. However, I think a little of this, a little of this McCarthy, all of a sudden, if this is true, if these reports are true, I think a little of it is uh, interesting that it's coming out now because, to me, I think the other thing a coaching staff is tasked with is, okay, you get these players, whether it's through free agency, whether it's through the draft, if it's young players – some of it's on you as a coach to make them leaders. You're talking about finding leaders to to lead the young guys. But there's enough. Oh, B.J. Raji is a veteran. Sam Shields is a veteran. Uh, Clay Matthews is a veteran. Aaron Rodgers is a veteran. Uh, Bulaga is a veteran. Starks is a veteran. I mean, I could go on and on. I, I, I understand what you – so understand I'm, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate on both sides of this. But how about you, you, you get – the, as a coach, you make leaders out of some of these players a little bit too before you just go, well, yeah, our struggles were because we didn't get some free agencies. Yes, there were some injuries in there, but this offense looked disjointed. And I find it hard to believe that it was this uh, disjointed just because Jordy Nelson was, was hurt. Yes, that's a huge blow. Jordy Nelson's one of the more underrated receivers, I think, top-notch receivers in football. No doubt about it. But you can't tell me that this offense and this personnel that was mainly intact, minus Jordy Nelson, struggled as mightily as it did, and that's because Ted Thompson didn't get free agents. Or tell me that uh, Eddie Lacy didn't look as good as he was, you know, whether it was injuries, whether it was because he was overweight, because there were no free agents picked up. Now, everybody's got their own method. It's worked for Seattle. They'll pick up free agents every week. They pick up, they, they, they churn the bottom of their roster almost on a weekly basis. Fine. Great. Other teams do it, too, and it's not successful. There's teams that are, that are woebegone also rands that do the same thing, and it doesn't always work out for them. So it's easy to go, look at how successful Seattle's been. Yeah, great. I think some of that has to do with guys like Richard Sherman and, and Irvin and Russell Wilson you know, not necessarily the bottom of the roster that you're you're churning for depth, but it's worked. But that doesn't mean that that's the blueprint. Just like it doesn't mean that going all out free agency, you've seen that become a disaster in the end. But look at that. I mean, it's a disaster almost yearly for Dallas when they go out and spend money. Okay? So what I'm saying is there's many ways to skin a cat. Would I like to see them pick up some free agents in the offseason? Yes. Do I think the reason that they didn't make it further was because of that? No. I think that if I was going to assess some blame, I think it's 30% on the players, it's 30% on Ted Thompson, and it's 30% on Mike McCarthy, and the other 10% we can argue about where we should assign that. I think it's equal. So, so before you go out and say, well, it's because of this, coach them up, man. Coach them up. And, again, I know that I'm coming across as a Mike McCarthy basher. Mike McCarthy's a great head coach. When I made this statement six weeks ago, people just about thought I lost my mind when I said I wouldn't, it wouldn't break my heart if they fired him. Now, that doesn't mean he's bad. Every great coach eventually, somewhere down the line, whether it's five years, ten years, fifteen years, whether it's one Super Bowl ring, three or five, 
your voice wears thin. You'll, you get people get tired of hearing your message. Sometimes you need a change. I just suggested that that time might be now, just because of the divide that there seemed to be between Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. Now maybe they've patched it up, and maybe they will over the off season. But Mike McCarthy is also going to need to patch things up with his general manager, and they're going to need to figure things out because the window that three years ago was wide open, ready for people to crawl in, has become the size of one of those basement windows that you can barely get like a critter or a raccoon through. It's a small window, and it's getting smaller. you got free agency you got to deal with. You aren't going to be able to sign everybody because you got cap hits. you got a quarterback over the age of 30. you got some things. you got some good young players, but you got some things. they, they got enough young players to be a good team. Do they have enough young players to be a Super Bowl team uh, if and when Aaron Rodgers deteriorates or retires or whatever? Right now, I'd have to say no. That's a fair assessment. I mean, I think it, obviously it's a balancing act, and the way that the approach, the you know, the draft and development reports has shown that it's worked, but it also you know, it's it's not like he hasn't signed. Obviously, you know, he hasn't signed some free agents. The Julius Peppers signing I thought was really good. Uh, you have absolutely yeah, Ryan Pickett. Those guys, you saw the development there. You know, where you mix you know the youth plus some veteran leadership. Uh, and you yeah. saw the results back in 2010, but uh, maybe, maybe it's one of those "What have you done for me lately?" things. And even with Peppers, sure. uh, you know, you can see why. But then again, I, I agree with you though about the McCarthy stuff. Yeah, and I'd like to see one or two of those signings. That you're not you're not going to get two Charles Woodsons every year because he's a Hall of Famer. But one or two signings where you go, yeah, that's a veteran. That guy, you know, he's a winner. That guy fits what we're looking for. Give, give me two of those, and if I'm a Packer fan, I'm happy. Okay, if I want more than that, and I think that's the answer, well, then obviously I don't follow football enough to understand that that just rampant free agency doesn't win you Super Bowls. But give me one or two of those guys that plug these gaps instead of saying, yeah, we have eight positions we have to fill in the draft, but we only have seven picks. How about you fill two of those positions in free agency and then draft the rest? How about you just find some middle ground? And I think people would be happy and we'd have less of the Ted Thompson bashing. But I, I think the thing that bothers me more than anything, if I'm the organization, is that this went public. You know, I know general managers and coaches probably all across the NFL disagree from time to time or fight from time to time or have differences of opinions. It's a bad sign when it gets out. Because 90% of the time, or at the very least 80% of the time, when these behind-the-scenes squabbles and wars get out, it usually leads to, to the ushering in of some bad times or somebody losing their job. And I don't want to think that the Packers, even though the window's closing, are going to be a 6-10 and 10 team next year or that Ted Thompson or Mike McCarthy are going to get fired. But just look at history, Jake, especially recent history. Public squabbles usually don't, from the GM to the coach, I should say, don't usually lead to to winning and fun times for that organization. It's true. It's true. And uh, that's it, it, it'll be interesting to see how that relationship is uh, is is healed or at least uh, mended. I mean, I can guarantee you most of those guys, you know, there won't be probably a lot of discussions about that. Uh, but you have that. But also Rodgers and McCarthy, if there's ever – if there's any, any schism or, or whatnot uh, regarding the, the play calling, I think McCarthy – is good to keep that play calling up on that end, uh, just to make sure that he's. I mean, it's what he does best, and I, I think 
with the returning Jordy Nelson that will help smooth things over, too. Uh, let me just ask it, you this. Let me just ask you this, Jake, too. And, again, I'm not piling on Mike McCarthy, but McCarthy had an issue with Rodgers and vice versa, and McCarthy had an issue with Ted Thompson. What's the common denominator in both of those squabbles? Yeah. Uh... Mike McCarthy. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like uh, Rodgers had an issue with Thompson and Thompson had an issue with Rodgers or with uh, McCarthy. Then Thompson's the problem. Or however, but in both of those high-profile disagreements or drama or or controversy, Mike McCarthy was in the middle of both of them. He's mad at his GM. He's mad at his franchise quarterback. Maybe there's more to the story. Maybe it's not just that the team has gotten sick of his voice. Maybe he's just gotten sick of being the Green Bay Packers head coach. And that happens too with great coaches who, after a while, are like you know, maybe I just need to change the scenery. And maybe, maybe that's, again, maybe I'm wrong and maybe they write the ship and everything's fine next year. But right now it just seems that maybe Mike McCarthy doesn't want the job in Green Bay. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. Uh, obviously, I think he, he'll, I mean, with that, with the money he's making, I'm sure that'll help him stick around. And uh, obviously, yeah, and we'll see that team turns to what we're going to do real quick, Scotty, is take a quick break. We're going to come back. WGN Radio, Chicago Bears Insider. Adam Hogue, B5Q Godfather coming up, talking some Senior Bowl, some Joe Schobert, and maybe which players at the Senior Bowl could fill some of the Packers' holes. Uh, we'll come back. Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza brought to you by Brent College Pads, a proud part of Bucky's fifth quarter. Welcome back, everyone. Kabasa King Sports Extravaganza brought to you by Rent College Pads and, of course, a proud part of Bucky's fifth quarter and, you know, kind of a blast from the past. I call him the godfather uh, of Bucky's fifth quarter. You saw, obviously, he's the Chicago Bears insider for WGN Radio and WGNRadio.com and is also a sideline reporter for for Northwestern. And we got Adam Hogan and Adam, uh, you know, we're, we're great having you on the, the podcast and, and the show. Uh, how's traveling going? And, and, and I guess, how was this, you know, uh, how was the senior bowl? And hopefully it was a little bit warm down in Mobile, Alabama. Well, actually it was, it was brutally cold for Mobile. Uh, I've been going down there the last three years and 
that's by far the worst weather I've seen down there. You know, usually at least get like one nice day where the sun's out and it's upper sixties and it was freezing. I think it affected the practices a little bit. Um, things weren't necessarily as clean. The wind was a factor too for quarterbacks trying to throw the football. Um, so it definitely impacted things, but you know, overall it was, uh, a good productive week as always in terms of looking at these seniors. Now, Adam, I know we only have a few minutes with you, uh, so we'll get the senior bowl stuff out of the way, then I have a Bears question for you. But looking at the game itself, I know most of our listeners care about the Badgers, but in general, from a Badger standpoint, who stood out? And from a non-Badger standpoint, who are some of the players that you think helped themselves the most in playing in this showcase? Yeah, well, I mean, usually there's two or three Wisconsin players at the senior bowl. And this year there was only one in Joe Schobert. Um, you know, I, in past years, I really, you know, go into the senior bowl, at least having a pretty good idea what the Wisconsin players are like, but doing Northwestern sidelines this year, I, I missed a good portion of the games. I'd go back, watch them, but not as in depth as, you know, I used to. And so, um, you know, with Joe, obviously I knew how great of a season he had, but, I was a little disconnected from the standpoint of not really understanding why he's he's maybe not considered a hotter prospect um, than than you kind of think he would be considering the the numbers he put up, especially the last two seasons. Uh, but immediately, you know, down there the first day on Tuesday, you you could see he's he's small. I mean, he's smaller um, than a lot of those other guys out there, and. Um, so it, it took a little adjusting for me to kind of get used to that. But, you know, I think what he did really well is you, you could tell that he's a high effort uh, motor. Motor never stops. He's good with his techniques. He, he does pretty much everything uh, perfectly from a technique standpoint. And I was impressed by his coverage, too. So, you know, I came away from those three practices, seeing him up close in person, thinking that he's definitely uh, an intriguing player for the next level. I don't know that um, he'll be quite as good as Chris Borland was. I had really high hopes for Chris Borland. I liked him a lot coming out of Wisconsin, and, and at the Senior Bowl, he really looked good. And, and I don't think Joe Schobert had quite the week that Borland did a couple of years ago. Um, and Borland obviously carried that over to the NFL before he retired early. Um, but I think Schobert's going to be a nice player. I, I think he's going to stick in the league for, for a little bit, and at a minimum will be a guy you can – take off the bench and use on special teams and with that you know adam it's with with some of the needs maybe for like the the packers uh looking maybe at a tight end looking at uh linebacker where do you is schobert are, are you feeling that he's more you said he's a little shorter you know i saw some of the, the weigh-ins where someone had mentioned maybe he had shorter arms do you see him outside? Do you see him inside? And you mentioned like special teams, which he, you know, he played in his time at Wisconsin. Uh, where do you see him in an NFL system, even with a three-four-four-three look? Well, I mean, it, the size differential from college to the NFL is just such a big deal. I don't know that he's going to be able to succeed on the edge like he was at Wisconsin. So, you know, I, I think he's a guy that ideally fits in a three-four defense, which he played at Wisconsin can move around within the defense, line him up in different spots. So, you know, here and there you put him on the edge. You, you, and he did a little bit of that this week, walking up to the line of scrimmage, um, you know, to the left or the right of the defensive end. They mostly play a 4-3. Um, 
um, down in Mobile because they're required to play a 4-3 defense in the game on Saturday. Um, but you, you, they want to, the scouts and coaches want to see them do everything. So you see different techniques and all that get played out in practice. Um, I, I think ultimately, though, his primary position is going to be inside. And, again, I think he's best suited to the 3-4 because at least then you can move, you have a little bit more flexibility in how you can move him around. So I think he can play. I just don't know how high the ceiling is. Um, but he's a good player. There's no question about it. He put up all those numbers. So it would not surprise me if he if he finds a good role in a 3-4 and, uh, and surprises a lot of people. Now, Adam, I want to shift gears real quick. The, the better part of the last decade, the NFL offseason has usually been the Packers having – coming off a playoff loss or a good season, and the Bears having infighting between GMs and coaches. That seems to have gone away, and it's flipped. In Green Bay, the coaches and the GM, McCarthy's not getting along with Thompson, McCarthy's not getting along with Rodgers. In Chicago, it seems things have really stabilized. Uh, new management, John Fox's first year, yes, there were some ups and downs, but it seems like the needle's starting to point up for the Bears. Uh, real quick, your take on, on the future of the Bears team with the current leadership of yeah, no, I think you're um you set that up pretty perfectly. I mean, um the Bears if they accomplished anything in the last calendar year, it was just eliminating all the drama inside the locker room and and getting everyone uh, pulling at the same rope, uh which in the NFL counts for everything. Um very rarely do you see a team that has fighting and drama uh win a Super Bowl. You know, maybe there's been a few exceptions throughout the years, but I'm assuming that those teams were also by far and away the most talented teams. It's it's just rare. I mean, you to win in the NFL today, you have to have good coaching. You have to have a good leader to, um, pulling everyone together in the locker room, and that's just not something the Bears had the last couple of years. So John Fox comes in. Um, you know, I like what the new general manager, Ryan Pace, is doing. He had a good draft class last year despite – his first round draft pick, Kevin White, not even playing it down. To be able to say that is pretty impressive. Um, and yeah, everything's stabilized. It's a good way to put it. Um, and and with the Packers, I, I was very surprised to to read Bob McGinn's story this week. I I wrote about it myself and just how it might affect the Bears because you know if you're the rest of the NFC North, you've been looking up at Green Bay. Um, for a while now, and, and really they've probably been the most stable franchise. Well, they have been clearly the most stable franchise in the NFC North over the last decade. So, you know, any kind of crack, and I, and I have a feeling it's not a huge deal, but any kind of crack um, in the foundation in, in Green Bay is good news for everyone else in, in the NFC North. And, um, you know, I, I think the Bears are going to be – you got you to pay attention to the Bears next year. They're going to surprise a lot of people, I think. And Adam, it, it's great talking with you. I know you got to get going soon, obviously, with your flight uh, back to Chicago. Uh, I just want to thank you again for stopping on. Safe travels back uh, from Charlotte to, to Chicago, and uh, we'd love to have you back on talking more NFL uh, coming up this, uh, you know, next season, but obviously uh, during the draft season. Absolutely, guys. Anytime. Sorry I had to cut a little short here, uh, but a quick layover in Charlotte, so I got to jump on my flight. But, um, but definitely, let's do it again in the future. We can talk a little bit longer. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Me if you see us. All right, see you guys. Yeah, take care, Adam. Guys, that was Adam Hogue from WGN and uh, WGNRadio.com, the Chicago Bears insider. Bucky's fifth quarter godfather, he was the one that created the 
what we are doing now, and, and that's what's really awesome. And it's it's always fun talking with with Adam. Uh, got a chance to meet him a couple years ago during a pro day, and and just great guy. Uh, once and and hopefully we'll have him back on soon. And Scotty, anything else going on? Uh, obviously Royal Rumble. Uh, I started my vacation with WWE NXT in Milwaukee, which was a great time. Um, more for for seeing you, obviously, and catching up and and seeing all of our friends, but also. Uh, you know, I end my vacation now. You're looking at that. Ending with the Royal Rumble on Sunday night. Uh, your your thoughts on the show and uh, even like the debut of AJ Styles and 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 whatnot from there. Well, I I, I, I think uh, it further proves that wrestling fans are hypocrites. Last year they were mad at Roman Reigns because the finish was too predictable. Um, two years ago, they were mad because Batista won because it was predictable. This was as predictable as it gets, and yet there isn't the outrage that we had the last couple of years. By and large, I do miss the fact that maybe it's because there's too many backstage leaks or whatever, but I do miss the fact that we haven't had a surprise Royal Rumble winner in a while. Um, besides that, the show was good. The match was fine. Uh, it lacked surprise. AJ Styles was the big surprise, and deservedly so. He was the Trump, okay? But other than that, there wasn't a lot. There weren't a lot of like, oh, wow, that, there were a lot of rumors. There was some talk that, you know, even even ridiculously, like Scott Steiner was going to be in it or whatever. And it just lacked that that holy cow moment where you're like, holy cow, that guy's in a rumble, you know? Um, and I think there are too many eliminations that were made to look like nothing. I, I understand Big Show's past his prime, but he just got dumped after a couple minutes like it was nothing. You know, <laughs> I, I think I, I just I think that that, that but that is that's a cause of just bad booking and bad planning. Just like oh you know lazy booking I should say. Oh yeah, we're gonna focus on this. We're gonna focus on this. Oh yeah 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 you're just gonna get thrown over like it's no big deal. You're the biggest guy on the roster. We're just gonna dump you. You know yeah. so. From that standpoint, I thought there was some lazy booking in that rumble. Um, but it wasn't terrible. The undercard, I thought, saved it in a lot of ways, especially the opener, the Ambrose-Kevin uh, Owens match was phenomenal. Um, I thought that the debut of AJ Styles was handled right because I was worried that if you debut him at the rumble, you're going to basically kill his momentum because he's not going to win it. But they did a really nice job. They did a really nice job going out and making him relevant by letting him last quite some time and then having him get dumped out. And dumped out by someone like Kevin Owens so the heat could stay on Owens. So that was fine. But there was just so I guess if I was rating it on A through F, it's a C plus. You know, better than the last couple, but like I said, I would have liked some more star power. You know, some more surprise star power I should say. Especially with all the injuries they had, they could have done some different things, brought in some guys for one time shots and you know, some of them I knew probably weren't going to happen, but I was, like, hoping for, like, a Kurt Angle. Wouldn't that have been cool? And what a yeah. – you know, I don't know what his contract situation is, but I know he wrestled his last match, but it hasn't aired yet for TNA. That would be a nice, you know, middle finger to TNA or, you know. Who, but, again, it didn't happen fine enough, but it, it wasn't a waste – it wasn't a complete waste of a night. So that's 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 my final grade on it. Yeah, no, I thought it was a good night. I thought, obviously, the, the Owens – Ambrose match was fun, 
and and those two working well together is a is a huge thing. I thought that was really a lot of fun to watch those guys. Uh, but then he also, uh, yeah, I mean, like I thought the debut and there's a on our SB Nation cousins uh, cage side seats. They go do a great job. Gino, who's a, a Bears fan, you can forgive him for that. Uh, Packers fans, but he runs a great site. And, and there's a guy by the name of Jason Martin who who'll do these uh, columns here and there. And he mentioned about you mentioned about AJ Styles, and you were worried about uh, how would they book him. And he came in number three. He lasted almost 30 minutes. Uh, but you know, Martin had said, you know, you, you try to book him right. What if you know he? What if they wait till after the Rumble to debut him? Uh, what if they that way it protects him if he does get thrown over? He did get thrown over by Owens, who said, you know, welcome WWE, threw him over, maybe possibly setting up a match later on down the road. But uh, you have that, and but you know, maybe you wait till after the Rumble so that you know he makes a bigger impact the night after, which leads you technically really to that road at WrestleMania, or or maybe he doesn't even be entered into the Rumble, but then he causes interference on the outside, which then opens up that debut and there's some there's some good options there but i thought they did a decent job i'm wondering if they'll put together the book club like you saw uh you know everyone's talking about and, and it sounds you know, like, like it's gonna happen it, it sounds like they're debuting uh gallows and uh uh anderson and, on the main roster so yeah and so i mean it, it should be interesting to see and see how uh finn balor works out with that obviously being the nxt champion and 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 where uh, will he stay in NXT? Will he be? Will it be a full four-man stable, or will it just be a three-man stable uh, for for uh, the Bullet Club or the Balor Club? On that note, so uh, we'll see. You know, it, it, it it'll be an intriguing road to WrestleMania. You saw The Rock come back in Miami on Monday Night Raw, uh, and with the new with the New Day uh, segment. Which those guys are talented. I I, I definitely enjoy uh, their their shtick and gimmick, but. Uh, I don't know. I, it should be an in- intriguing thing. I'm, I'm more, and maybe this is more the the smart side of things, but you know, the NXT Takeover, and based off of some of those tapings that they've had, the the NXT Takeover show should be really, really compelling in in, in Dallas two days, but you know, or the day or two before WrestleMania. That, that 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 seems like a huge huge match, especially now that they have you know uh, the, uh, they assigned the um the Japanese wrestler to uh face Sami Zayn from what it looks like. So it should be a big big matchup. Yeah, yeah, that that'll be fun. And Mania is going to be rough this year as far as how they're going to pull it all together cuz another injury now Sheamus is out. Um there's I mean there's so many people on that walking wounded injured list that you know you you're probably going to see a high profile match for a guy like AJ Styles. Uh, you're probably going to see Brock and, Wy- and Bray Wyatt, and it's another chance for Bray Wyatt to elevate himself. Uh, it just—it seems like it's going to be lacking star power, and uh, um, so uh, it, it, you might see a less loaded card with maybe some longer matches too. Right? I, I'm, I'm interested. And as far as The Rock coming back, I know I'm in the minority. So I fine. I I'm so over it. Like I. I'm, you know, I mean, he's so entertaining. He, he, it's eh, whatever. You know what? The, the thing that bothers me about The Rock coming back every year is all you ever hear wrestling fans and wrestling enthusiasts complain about is that they can't create. They don't create new stars. They, the new stars don't do anything for me. And then when you try to start to create new stars that are getting over, someone like The Rock comes in and invariably just buries them. 
okay? And you could say, no, it elevated New Day. Did it really? They were belittled because The Rock is the only guy when he comes in that has free reign on the mic and doesn't have to be PG-13 and doesn't have to follow a script. And then, you you know, then he's there and he's like, yeah, The Rock, and then I'm going to bury some of your guys and I'm going to leave. And then you're going to have to be here to pick up the pieces and root for these guys or get behind them when I've pretty much all but made them look unimportant. I'm over it, man. Like, I know he still sells tickets, and, again, I am, I disagree with wrestling fans about a lot of things, including the love for The Rock. I don't hate him. Uh, he was great in his time, but just, I don't know, man, whatever. I, I'm over it. I'm just, I'm, I'm over it. I don't, I don't need to see him anymore. Yeah, I think it's just one thing where they're just trying to bring in, I mean, with, with the injuries, they're trying to bring in a big name to sell. I mean, they're in AT&T Stadium. They're trying to sell out AT&T Stadium. Okay, I get it. People. I get it. But, but, Jake, isn't part of the problem, let, let's rewind it a little bit and let's play chicken or egg, isn't part of the problem that there's enough, uh, those five of their top guys are hurt and nobody cares about the undercard guys is because for years and years and years, guys like The Rock come in and bury them. I mean, I mean, it's one of those. It's one of those things where you you want those established guys to obviously. It's you know it's noted where you want those older guys to pass the torch. You know, you take the job to put the, over the new kid, the new class, and, and establish their own legacy, which you necessarily may not have seen. You know, and, and maybe that's yeah. You know, like I said, it's led to that predicament. Yeah. So I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see. WrestleMania's. 60-some days away, there's a pay-per-view in between, and and we'll see how that goes. I know that they're talking now rumors that Strowman's going to take on The Undertaker and beat him, and Strowman's going to bury Big Show at the next pay-per-view, so he's the next guy up. Maybe fortuitous, taking advantage of a position because of injury and because he's big, and even though he's limited, and we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Some, what it does mean, the big story is people are getting a chance to carry the ball, even though it might be because of injury. Let's see if they run with it or fumble it. So, um, Other than that, I hey, here's something interesting before we wrap up. So I, I've never asked you this, and we don't really talk politics. We don't have to. But if you were guessing like where I lean politically, what would you think that – what would you classify me as a uh, voter? Well, what what do you think? I, uh, I mean, I, I'd say maybe a, I think you're more central. I think you're moderate. I think you may lean a little bit more to the right, slightly, maybe. But other than that, I think you're pretty moderate. Am I pretty accurate in that estimate? Yeah, yeah. On some things, I'm a little bit more right. So I took this long political quiz, and then they try to match you up with a candidate, and they say you're you know you've probably seen it and where they say you're this percentage match with this guy, you're this percentage match with this guy, yada, yada, yada. Okay. So I only had a 72% match with anybody. Okay. I had a 72% match with Ted Cruz. Okay. I have a 71% match with Mike Huckabee. And tied with 70% was Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. So what this tells me is I'm all over the frickin' road when it comes to politics, because we're within two percentage points, you have Sanders, Clinton, and two Republicans. Kind of crazy, don't you think? Yeah. 
yeah, it goes to show you if you're over that where you're you're close to Mike Huckabee and then right next to Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, like it it shows to me that uh, you know it, it, sometimes it's it's just a matter of, I mean, not every candidate's the perfect one, right? You know, it, it, and that's the big thing is that you know, and and you know, obviously, I'm not gonna get on my high horse about certain things with with the the system here, but uh, you're you're dealing with the fact that. Uh, really, it's yeah. There's no perfect candidate, and uh, I mean, just the way it's. I mean, there's such hyper partisanship that uh, I mean, you know, Laura and I have talked about it. Like, we don't know how Donald you know, Donald Trump is is leading. I mean, you can tell. I can tell how because he's being populist and he's being he's he's kind of feeding off the fears of uh, you know and exposing a lot of uh, phobias out there that a lot of uh, you know racial tension, a lot of uh, and he's kind of exposing that, and it's you know he's and he's feeding off it. I mean, he you know he has you know, this and he say I could go out there and shoot someone in the middle of this square, and then people would I wouldn't lose any points in the voting. Like it, he's starting to like part of me just wishes that this is some elaborate prank or just some way to have Don, you know, that Donald Trump's trying to unite the world against him. But I honestly think this is a legit act, you know. Well, first of all, it is an act because I, again, some real quick rapid points here. Donald Trump, if you look at everything he's done prior to the last two years, is definitely a moderate Democrat at the very least, if not a Democrat. Okay, um, just look at some of the things he's supported and some of the people he's he's funded and yada yada yada. Which means that not only is he perpetrating a fraud on the people he's trying to get to vote from, which is the Republicans, but on really America to begin with. I don't think he believes half of the stupidity that comes out of his mouth, and I think it's a show. And I think politics has become so much like pro wrestling. Now, I'll tell you what really bothers me is I don't know anybody. I don't associate with anybody who is 100% right or 100% left. But yet both parties run to those edges. The Republicans pander to the far extreme right, and the Democrats pander to the far extreme left. Do you know anybody who lives on the edges? I don't. No. I think everybody, everybody is in this middle uh, between 40% left and 40% right, or maybe 35 Left or, you know, in that middle is where most of us live and raise our families and live our lives. But none of those candidates speak to that because every candidate gets pulled to the edge by special interests or whoever's funding them. And what's funny to me is they're all cut from the same cloth. I get the feeling when I watch any political coverage anymore or any debates or anything that it's like wrestling. So out comes the heel, and you can decide who the heel is. Is it Trump? Is it Hillary? I'll leave that up to you. But out comes the heel. Out comes the baby face. We're going to do a dog and pony show, and we're going to talk about things that aren't going to really affect our lives. We're going to talk about religion. We're going to talk about abortion. Maybe we'll throw a little bit of race baiting in there, and then we'll leave that for you to argue, and then we're going to go backstage and drink some beers together. We just put on our show. We did our juggling act. We talked about things that don't really matter in our everyday life. And now we got you fighting. Meanwhile, backstage, we're going to do whatever we want together collectively to not necessarily move this nation forward. That's what politics has become to me. It's a dog and pony show on both sides. Whether you think you're a Republican or you think you're a Democrat or you're a Libertarian or you're somewhere in the middle like I am. Whatever it is, it's, it's a ruse. It's entertainment. And it sucks that that's what it's become. 
And I know I sound like a jaded old man when I go, well, there's no candidate that really represents me. But there isn't, man. Because anybody who starts out wanting to be centrist ends up getting pulled one way or another anyway. So, anyway, I went off on a tangent. I hope I didn't offend anybody because I didn't pick sides. I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I'm throwing stones at everybody. And I think we as, as a country should care more about politics every day, care more about issues, I should say, every day, and not just every four years when we fight like cats and dogs because one candidate beat the other one. And then we go back in our corners for three years with our heads in the sand while the country continues to spiral both under Republican and Democrat watch. This isn't anti-Obama. This isn't anti uh uh, Bush, this isn't anti-anything. It's just the truth. Every year, things get worse. Maybe this year, unemployment's better, but something else is worse. And nobody really seems to ma- make it matter except every four years when we elect the president. I wish we had debates and so much fervor and, and we cared so much when we elect assembly and congressmen because that's where it starts. That's where differences can be made. But we don't. We just we fall for the show. The main event, the Royal Rumble, the main event matches what's going to happen this November. The undercard matters a lot, but we just don't pay attention to it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's, uh, I mean, it's it's it's, it's a really good way to put it. Um, we'll see. And obviously, I mean, it's it's one of those things where we'll. Um, I'm interested in seeing this how it pans out, and and and, and obviously uh, for the future, not just I mean with our kids and whatnot, but, you know, I just hope that, uh, I don't know, I hope people kind of wake up to things and, 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 you know, like you said, they, they, I mean, I think there's a lot, I think it's become a lot, and maybe this this will be my closing comment on it, uh, to close it out, I I think there's a lot of apathy with everyone, which I think it's it's not a good thing, it's a, uh, I just feel like there's a lot of people that are sick of politics, and, and that's not you know, mm-hmm. it's it's been polluted so much that now people don't care. I think that that's what makes it prime for for people like to take advantage of the system, and that's uh, like I, Donald Trump, like Trump, because people have so much apathy and they're sick of the quote unquote politician that a guy can come out clown around and people are like yeah he's different. I want to vote for him. You really, really, you really like? Has it gotten that bad with the other candidates that that is appealing? Like that's what we want. I, I, I mean, I guess you're right. That points to exactly what you said. That's apathy at its best or worst. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, on, on a brighter note, no, we just want to thank Jason Galloway from the Wisconsin State Journal. I want to thank Adam Hogue from WGN, the Godfather of. Bucky's fifth quarter. Appreciate that. Those guys come out talking some Badger sports, uh, and, oh, yeah. and you know, and then Scotty coming up, man. We got some big things. Super Bowl weekend coming up, uh, and and that's a uh, yeah. That's, you know, we didn't even get to talk about the AFC NFC championship games, other than uh, two. I'll make two quick observations because I know we got to go. AFC game. I'm sorry, man. I don't know why you don't kick those field goals if you're New England. You kick those two field goals inside five minutes, and then that last drive, you're going for the win with a field goal. I, I just, I, I don't understand it. I, I think it was one of the few times I've seen Belichick get out coached or outmaneuver himself, 
and that cost them the game. And I got nothing to say about that NFC game, other than what a great job by Carolina. I didn't expect that at all. I expected Carolina was going to win a close one, but, man, they just boat raced them. Uh, so, obviously, the big favorite now is Carolina. Because they're the big favorite, pardon me, and we'll have predictions next week, but, and I could change my mind, but I don't know why I'm leaning towards Denver. Uh, maybe I'm I'm feeling a little bit of a of an era of, aura of overconfidence maybe you know you know how Packers had it happen to them in in the second Super Bowl with with uh, Ron Wolf and Mike Holmgren they were heavy favorites they thought they had it in a bag they were flying high and it was Denver lo and behold another Denver team that came up and and pulled the upset so we'll see I could change my mind I got a a week to think it over but I I think it's going to be a good Super Bowl I don't think it's going to be a blowout on either side and uh, we'll talk more about it next week Excellent. Just thank you guys for joining in. Check us out. Coming up next week, we'll we'll talk. Well, we'll preview Super Bowl. We'll talk more Badger hoops, uh, and and hopefully we'll do two shows that week. Uh, next week we have obviously the the big show talking Super Bowl and, and everything else, but also National Signing Day. We'll see if I have any time for this. We can put together uh, hopefully a quick half hour kind of breakdown uh, the 2016 class of new Wisconsin football players and their commitments and uh maybe we'll have a couple of them on so we'll we'll see how that goes so uh for you know, Scott, it's my favorite time of the year jake it's like I, I, <laughs> I know i know you're very i know you're very excited for it scotty uh but for the on that note guys uh guys take care uh and you know we'll uh you know, scotty's gearing up for national signing day uh well, all of us are here make sure you guys check us out because we have tons of profiles coming up uh, some fun things come up for articles we're working on this weekend. So, uh, those of Chenya, my friends, we'll talk to you guys soon. You guys, take care.